0: well welcome this is the good the good thing about having uh, services in-house but also having services online is on a day like today uh, those of you who are joining us online uh, get to sit at home with a cup of coffee and you didn't have to uh, deal with the snow or the wind or the rain or, well it's no rain this morning right uh, anyway uh, thank you for joining us whether you're you're online with us or whether you're here in-house. We're so glad you're here. So uh, I remember there were times uh, growing up as a kid where my brothers and I, and I have five brothers, and I was right in the middle, we used to play uh, copycat. And uh, it wasn't a game that anybody really wanted to play, but we would do it to annoy one another. And we would copy anything our brother, one of our brothers was saying, or they would copy me. And it would come down to, you know, they would try to do the, the, the intonation and, and, you know, and they would try to copy everything you do. And it got annoying pretty quick to the point that you would always go to mom and you would always say, mom, he's copying me. And then your brother would say, mom, he's copying me. And then tell him to stop, tell him, you know, and it would go on. And finally, your mom would go, knock it off. They wouldn't copy mom. One of my brothers tried that once, and it didn't work out well for him. <laughs> she wasn't in the mood. <laughs> uh, but you know what? Here's the thing: the passage we're going to look at is from Ephesians five today. Talks about copying. That we're to copy God, and you say, "Well, how in the world do you copy God?" And let's just review where we've been because when we. And if you want, turn to ch- Ephesians chapter five, verse one. We're going to look at the first couple of verses of. Ephesians. Uh, it's interesting because uh, we have chapter breaks in our Bibles, but the original, you know, Bible doesn't have chapter breaks. It was kind of a later edition, and they're helpful, you know, to you know know where verses are and stuff. But sometimes you just kind of it's easy for you to think, oh, he's talking about somebody. They're talking about something else here. It's a different subject, and it's not. That's the point. It's not. Paul is really continuing his whole subject. And the subject up to this point has been this. We need to put off the old way. We need to put on the new way. And we do that by renewing our minds. And as we renew our minds, we become different people. You should be a different person today than you were a year ago, and two years ago, and five years ago. And hopefully the goal is, as followers of Jesus Christ, that we're becoming more like Jesus. We call that the process of Sanctification. And that's kind of what Paul's going to talk about. He's going to talk about how we become more like Jesus. He's going to lay down a couple of really important principles that will help us to understand what that means. So if you would, turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, starting at verse 1. And uh, I'll read it, and then we'll we'll talk about it. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Paul writes these words. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. So there's two things that I want to look at in this passage. The first one is where he says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, follow God's example. Now the Greek word is where we get our word mimic, because it sounds just like mimic when you say the Greek. It so the idea of mimicking God, but you say, well, how do you mimic God? Right? God is beyond our comprehension, and you know, other than Jesus, and we don't really know what Jesus looked like, and how are we to mimic God? You know, but that's kind of what Paul says. Um, so to do that, how, how do we do that? And and really, what you have to do is you have to say, because what does Scripture say about how we are? I mean, if we're going to mimic God, it means that we're able to do it somehow. So if you go back to Genesis, it says something very incredible about all human beings. It says that we're made in the image of God, that we are all image bearers. There's something about every human being that you've ever met that they have the mark of God upon them. Now, theologians argue about what that mark is. Is it... it, uh, uh, our re- our intellect or our reasoning ability is it that we have a conscience is it that we have a personality or creativity is it our moral sense is it one of those or all of those probably it's all of those things so the point is what separates us from the rest or you know, from animals right What separates us? And animals are driven by instinct. They do things instinctively, right? Even when you train animals, you train them through their instinct, right? But yet we're not, we we have instincts, but we are beyond our instincts. We can think, we have a moral compass, and we have other things going on. And I know what some of you are thinking right now. You're saying, Pastor Matt, you're telling me that everybody has the image of God, but I know people who I see nothing at all that looks like God in their lives. Well, they are rational. They, you know, they're every person has the image of God. Now, you're right though, because there is something wrong. Um, think about this: when you have a good mirror, it really reflects the image. Back right, it's not the image; it reflects the image right. But you remember if you've gone to a carnival or a funhouse, you'll see the mirrors that distort the image. It'll make you fatter or thinner, or it'll make you twisted or something like that right. And also, you've seen mirrors that are pitted or cracked, and the image you get is yeah, that's me, but it's not really me. It's it's pitted. It's 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 not correct. It's distorted. There's there's an image there, but it's distorted, right? And that's what happens to mirrors. And what the New Testament says is this image of God has been given to all human beings, but it is marred. It is cracked. It is perverted because of sin, because of the fall. There is, every person has the image of God, but the image is fallen. The mirror is damaged, it's pitted, it's distorted. And that's true of every human being, including Christians. Now, what the New Testament says is, what God is doing, once we give our lives to him, because Jesus gave his life to us, he gives us his Holy Spirit, the indwelling Holy Spirit, but he begins to fix the mirror. He begins to fix the image. He begins to put it back together. He takes the pits out. He fixes the cracks. And hopefully more and more, week after week, month after month, year after year, we're becoming more like Jesus. And that's the point Paul's making here. He's saying that as we put off the old, put on the new, we renew our mind and we allow the indwelling Holy Spirit to remake us And we call that process the process of sanctification. We're becoming more like Jesus. And as we become more like Jesus, the mirror image is getting better. That with the more people see us, the more they see Jesus. That's the way it's supposed to be. So you should be able to say, and that's why the Christian life is you don't just trust Jesus and then live like hell and then hopefully one day go to heaven. You trust Jesus and you begin this walk with Jesus, and this process begins, and and He begins to change you, and you begin to reflect more and more of your life like Jesus. And you model Him and you mirror Him. That's the point. Jesus used a different uh, picture for this same thing in uh, Matthew chapter 5. Notice what He says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. He says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Do You see what he's saying? He says, when you light a lamp, you don't put it under a basket and you, 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 let, it, you let it shine those of you, you know, we live in Iowa, and when I lived in New York, it was the same thing, that when you'd get snow, you would always, you know, you brush your car off, you brush your windows off. Some of you are more precise and more, you know, you take more time to do it. Others of you just want to have a hole that you can see forward and don't care. And you're surprised when somebody rams into the side of your car that you never saw, but that, you know, I mean, there's different ways to do things. But here's the thing, most of us when we, when we, you know, if you don't have a garage and your car gets dumped on and you get four, three or four or five inches of snow on your car, you're brushing it off and if it's at night, if this has ever happened to you at night, you'll know what I'm talking about. You'll come out, you'll brush your car off, it's cold, it's always cold, it's always windy, you can never find the, the scraper, it's, you know, it's some... And you get it cleaned off, you get the car, and you're freezing, and you get got the defrost on, and you're trying to get everything, and you're, you're going down the road, and you go, man, I can barely see. It's really dark out today. And you pull over, and maybe you got to get gas or something, and all of a sudden, you look at your headlights, and you realize, oh, they're covered with snow. You take the snow, you brush, and you brush off your lights, and you go down the road, and you go, okay, now I can see this is the point, the same is true with the mirror, that we have the light, we have the mirror image, but when the, when the mirror's cracked, when it's pitted, when the light is covered, there's, there's still the light there, but it's not shining brightly, it's not, it's not reflecting correctly, and that's the point that he's making here, so the question I want to ask you, he, so, so the first thing Paul says is, we're to mimic God. Why? Because we're created in his image. And year after year, day, you know, day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, we should mimic God better. We should show more. The image, the image of God in us should be clearer to people. What does is, what is, what is Jesus say? That they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. They will see Jesus in you, right? That's, that's the goal that's the goal. And so so the question is, who or what are you mirroring? Uh, This week, in your words, in your deeds, who or what were you mirroring? Uh, Who are you reflecting? That's the first point he wants to make. The second thing, and the second one really kind of drives the first one, is that we're called to embrace our adoption. The Bible says The minute we give our life to Jesus because he gave his life to us on the cross when he said, I love you this much that he would give his life, the minute that we do that, the minute that we call upon the Lord, he gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit and we're adopted into a new family. We are now his sons. We are now his daughters. And because we're his sons and daughters, we should begin to reflect, we should begin to mimic our Father, our Heavenly Father. And that's the motivation because this is not, it, it, we're the, the old man, the old person, the old way is who we used to be, but that's not who we are right now. We have been changed. Our status has changed and we are now part of a family. We're sons. We're daughters. And we belong to God. And now we want to reflect Him. We want to model Him because we belong to Him. So we're not only made in the image of God, but we're adopted into this new family. And because we belong to this new family, our behavior should reflect that family. It just makes sense. You know, there's a number of pictures in Scripture that describe God's relationship with humans. One of them is that God is the creator and we are the creature. Paul kind of describes that. and He says, He's the potter, we're the clay, right? <laughs> the clay doesn't get to tell the potter. You know, uh, my uncle was a uh, uh, po- did pottery and stuff like that. And I'll tell you what, and he was he was like in Pennsylvania, and he was in his own little cabin doing, and he in his own kiln, and he, he he was throwing pots and stuff. Can you imagine if he throws a piece of clay down and he's working on? All of a sudden, the, the uh, clay goes, "Uh-uh, uh-uh!" <laughs> like, "Whoa!" You know, this is wrong kind of clay. I mean, this is kind of creepy. And but yet, what, what is Paul says? He says, "He's the potter; we're the clay. He's the creator; we're the creature." That's one of the pictures. And then, you know, Psalm 23, uh, David talks about another picture. He says, he's the shepherd. He's the great shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I'm a shepherd, but he's my shepherd. And really, I'm one of his sheep. Because if he's my shepherd, then I've got to be a sheep, right? And so, the shepherd, the sheep. And he talks about John. In John's gospel, Jesus talks about what? The vine and the vine dresser. And he says sometimes the vine dresser is going to come to the vine. He's going to clip off some of the vines. And that's just what a vine dresser does. And it hurts and it's painful and it's difficult. But the vine dresser knows what he's doing. And sometimes Jesus basically says, and sometimes we need to look at God as the vine dresser and we are the vines. And then the one we're looking at, And this is what Paul's talking about, that he's our father and we are his children. We are his sons and daughters. Do you know that, uh, Christian? Do you know that God calls you his son, his daughter, that he loves you, that you are dearly loved? So what I want to do is I want to just take the rest of our time, and just four quick points. I want to talk about the privilege of what are the privileges of being called and being his son and his daughter. Because when we know who we are, then we begin to mimic our Father in heaven. And there's four of them. Here they are. Number one, you're permanently accepted. You're permanently accepted. Uh, Jesus says this, uh, in Je- well, actually John did. John is describing Jesus coming. In John chapter 1, verse 11, he says this, he, speaking of Jesus, came to that which was his own. In other words, Jesus created all of creation. That's what John says in his chapter 1. So in other words, he's saying the creator of all creation came into the creation he created. He came into that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become what? Children of God children born not of natural descent nor of human decision nor of the the husband's will but born of god here's the point and this is the point that jesus was making to nicodemus in john chapter 3 nicodemus thought like many people in this community and probably in america and around the world who believe in god would say well i'm a christian because i was born into a christian family i was physically born into a christian family And Nicodemus thought he was a follower of God because he was, after all, a religious person, a rabbi, a teacher of the law. And Jesus says, you need to be born again. The the point is this, you do not become a Christian because you're born into a Christian family. You become a Christian because you've been born again into a heavenly family, into a as, and you have a new father, a heavenly father. That's the point that Jesus is making that Nicodemus. Just like you have a physical birth, you need to have a spiritual rebirth. And it's amazing to me how many people around the world, especially in America, think, I'm a Christian because I was born into a Christian family and I believe in God. So do the devils, James says. Is, is, here's the point. The point is, Jesus is saying it's not you, you. don't. You're not born into a Christian family. You need to be born again to be part of this Christian family. There needs to be a spiritual birth. But once you are, you are part of that family, and that will never change. There's nothing you will that will do that will cause you to lose that. It was nothing. You are different than a servant. You know, you can't can't fire your kids, but you can fire your servant. Though it would be interesting. Can you imagine that? That would be interesting. So you you have a bad day with your kids, and you bring them down around lunchtime. It's been a bad morning. You bring them down, and you say, you know, sit them down, and Mom and Dad want to talk to you. Yeah, it's been a bad day. It's actually been a bad week. We're going to have to let you go. Uh... You have to to the end of the day to clean out your rooms, and uh, we'll see you later. Hope things work out for you, you know? Some of the parents are going, can we do that? No, you can't do that. You cannot do that. (laughs) You can't fire your kids. You can't fire your servant, but you can't fire your kids, right? (laughs) Uh, Though I'm sure some of you have thought, oh, you're fired. (laughs) But here's the point. As a son or daughter, you're accepted by your heavenly father, and there's no condemnation. There's no guilt. Remember the story of the prodigal son. So he has this inheritance. We're going to talk about that in a minute. He has this inheritance coming. It's probably a third, and the older son probably gets two thirds. So he wants his inheritance. He goes to his father, says, "Give me my inheritance. I want it now. I'm not going to wait." And so it's a very it's a shaming thing for him to do. It's dishonoring to the father. He leaves town with his inheritance. He squanders it. He he finally comes to his senses. And he says, I'll go back to my, and he's rehearsing his speech. He repents, and he rehearses his speech. He says, I'll go back to my father, and I'll say, Father, I don't deserve to be your son. I will become your servant, and I will serve you the rest of my life. So he's on his way back, and you can hear him kind of, you know, rehearsing his line to his father his father's been looking for him, his father catches him, he sees him at a distance, he begins running, which is just totally unheard of in, in that culture in that day for a father to do that, but he, he had been looking for his son, and he, his son comes, and before his son can get those words out, before his son can say, father, I am no longer worthy to be your son, I, I want to be a servant, his father says, put a robe on him, put a ring on him, let's throw a party. What was the father saying to him? You always have been my son, and you always will be my son. You're not a servant. You're my son. And so that's the, first, that's the first privilege of being a son or daughter, that you're permanently accepted, that nothing will change that because you didn't earn it and you didn't deserve it. It came at a cost, but it wasn't anything that you did. You've been adopted. Secondly, you have immediate access. Notice... What Paul says, this is, we looked at this a number of weeks ago in Ephesians 2.18, he, he says this, for through him, Jesus, we have both access to the Father by one Spirit. In other words, we have access. I was raised in a tradition, maybe you were too, where I was told, if you want to meet with God, you have to go to a certain place at a certain time, and hopefully there's a certain person there that can connect you to God. Maybe you, that was your experience. And when I prayed a prayer, it was kind of a mechanical prayer. But here's what I found out. Here's what the Bible teaches, that you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've given your life to him because he's given your, his life to you, if that has happened, you called upon the Lord and you received his Holy Spirit, you have the very presence of God within you. You call him your, your father. You call God your father. And you have access to him any That's why the writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, by the blood of Jesus. We have confidence, not because we deserve it, not because we've earned it, but because Jesus deserved it and earned it for us. He brought it to us. And we can come into the very presence of God. We have immediate access to our father as his child. Uh, An employee has restricted access. So some of you will know this, and you, you, you should Google the picture later today. Um, I did it last night just because I thought, I've seen that picture, but I just th- thought I'd re- just refresh my memory. And if you Google John Kennedy Jr. playing in the Oval Office, you'll see a picture, and there's there's a few of them that'll pop up, but you'll see a picture of John Kennedy sitting in the Oval Office at his desk working, and you'll see John Jr., his son, who's under the desk, there's a little door in the front of the desk, in the middle of the desk, and he's down there playing at the feet of his father in the Oval Office. It's a really interesting pic, it's just such, a, it's such an incredible picture. That here his son is playing in the Oval Office. Do you wanna know how many people would have loved to have access to the president like that? John Jr. could say to his father, Dad, can I get a drink? And his father would get it for him. In the middle of what he was doing, he's in the Oval Office with the president. But the president is his father. That's the point that Paul is making, that that we're his sons, we're his daughters, and and we have immediate access to him. We don't have to wait. We don't have to go through advisors. We don't have to make an appointment for a couple of months away. We can go immediately into his presence, and, and he welcomes us as a son, as a daughter. There are no barriers. An amazing passage. He's always willing. He's always available. He's always there. You're never alone. Number three, you have complete protection. Paul writes these powerful words in in Romans chapter 8, verse 35. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, Neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor any, uh, anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you have kids and you're a good parent, you try to do whatever you can to protect and keep your kids safe. Right? But here's the reality. As your kids grow, you realize that you're not going to be able to be there for them. And even if you were with them, you're not able to fix or help them sometimes. That's terribly frustrating and discouraging, isn't it? That's not true with your heavenly father. Because whether you have the desire to do it, do you have the ability to help? Are you you powerful enough? Are you able to be there? That's the problem. Here's what I found. We have a Heavenly Father who promises to be with us no matter what. And He knows what you're going through. He understands your trouble and trials, your pain, your grief. He knows what it's like to suffer loneliness. He gets all of that. It's not lost on Him, right? Here's what I see. I see a lot of Christians interacting as orphans. They're living their life as though they don't have a heavenly father. Like they're on their own. They're not connected. They have no fellowship with the father. They have no time. And then when life... And the time that many of us do that, where we get into that place is... We do it when life's going well. We basically say, God, I don't need you. I'm okay. I can get by. We, we don't even think about it, right? But then when life goes south, when life goes hard, all of a sudden we cry out to our Father. And when he's not there and when he doesn't answer on our timetable and our way, we say, God, why have you left me? I think God as a good parent is going, I don't know who left who, but... I think it was you. Think about any healthy relationship out there, human relationship. If you do not have time together when life is going well, where you can establish that relationship, are you, is, it, is there any possible way that you could do well when things go badly? Think of healthy relationships. When you have a healthy relationship with somebody and you go through conflict with them, you know, life get, when life gets hard, if you don't have that ongoing trust relationship, when life goes badly, it's going to be tough. And yet what we do is we, we live as orphans. We say, God, you're over there. When do you call out to your father? Here's what I found, that when you embrace your sonship and your daughtership, when you don't need him, it will prepare you for when you do. And that's why many Christians, just they give up on God. Well, I gave up on God. It's because they never really fostered that relationship. They never really embraced it. Here's the last thing. You have an eternal inheritance. Oh, by the way, let me just say this because I didn't bring this, I want to point this out. It doesn't just say that you're loved, that you're his daughter, you're his son and daughter. It says here his beloved son or daughter. Do you remember there are two at least two times in the Gospels where Jesus, it's on the Mount of Transfiguration and when Jesus was baptized. And a voice says from heaven similar things. This is my, not son, beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Do you see that? Do you see that the father said of the, he's my beloved son. That's the word, that's what Paul says about us. He says, you're not just my son or daughter. You're my dearly loved son's and daughters you have an inheritance peter talks about that look at first peter chapter 1 verse 3 he says praise be to god the god and father of our lord jesus christ in his great mercy he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead and to an inheritance that can never perish spoil or fade this inheritance is kept in heaven for you too many people are looking for an inheritance here on earth. The problem with an inheritance here on earth is, if you get it, and that's a good big if, right? If you get it, you'll probably give it to someone else, your kids, or you'll, you know, something will go wrong. But I'll tell you what, in 50 or 80 years from now, that earthly inheritance is going to be gone to you Because you're going to be gone, and probably you're going to be forgotten. Oh, that's a grim thought, isn't it? Don't you, doesn't that bother you to think that in 80 years from now, even people in your own family won't remember you? You say, well, that's not true, Pastor Matt. My family's different. Oh, really? Do you know your great-grandfather and grandmother? Do you know their names? Do you know anything about them? Do you talk about them a lot? Share stories, (laughs) there's my point. The point is we weren't made to be, we're made to be eternal. And what we've done is we've, we've packed all of our inheritance here and now, and it's all gonna be gone. And that's why we're warned not to do that, not to do that. The inheritance, we want to find that security and we look to an inheritance or we look to other things. And what Peter is saying and what Jesus we're going to see in a minute, he says, there's an inheritance waiting for you in heaven that will never, what? It'll never perish, it'll never spoil, and it'll never fade. That's the kind of inheritance that we all should be looking towards and finding our confidence in and our hope and our trust in. Look, what, look at what Paul says. Excuse me. this is Matthew, and these are the words of Jesus. Matthew chapter six verse 19. He says, "Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy." And where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. There's a lot there. I don't have time to go into that passage. Other than to say a couple quick points. Number one, Jesus says if you store your treasure here, it's doomed. <laughs> it's going away. Sooner or later, it's going away. It's either going to somebody, or you're going to lose it, or it's, it's, it's doomed. But the good news is you can send it ahead. He says store up treasure in heaven. So, somehow or another, here on earth, right now, you're either storing treasure here now or you're storing treasure in heaven in the future. So, he's saying, don't store it up, send it ahead. Don't put it in a storage locker here, put it into heaven, invest it in heaven. And I think a lot of that is how you invest your life, your time, your talent, and your treasure for his kingdom. I think that's how you send it ahead. And I don't have time to go into that. But the point I want you to say is, don't count on your earthly inheritance. Look forward to the heavenly one. So, so there's four things, four things. Because you are a dearly loved son or daughter, that God promises you. And so, you can look at this message, you can look at the passages we looked at, and you can get overwhelmed. And here's the overall picture of what, what, what Paul is saying. You need to put off the old way because that's not who you are anymore. Put on the new way because that's who you are. How do we do that? You renew your mind daily. You renew your mind through, your word, through the Word of God. You allow the Holy Spirit to drive your car and you begin to mimic your Father in heaven. Why? Because you're one of His sons and daughters. So start living up to your calling. This is who you are. Not, this is not, this, that's who you used to be. This is who you are now. Live up to your status. You're a child of the king. You're a son or daughter. You're dearly loved by God. Now live that way. And as you do that, if you're really living that way, you will begin to mimic God. You'll show the family signs in your speech, in the way you treat people, in the way you approach the world, in the way you look at eternity. So the goal is that a year from now, you aren't the same person that you are today. You're more like Jesus than you were a year ago. You reflect the Father more than you did a year, uh, you, you, uh, a year from now. You'll reflect the Father more than you do right now. That your mirror is getting better. That the light is shining brighter. That people are being directed towards God. That you're helping people into his kingdom. That all these things are happening because you're becoming what God desired you to be, his new creation, his sons and his daughters who are dearly loved. That's the message Paul gives to us today. Would you stand with me and let's pray. Father, help us to understand the important truth of your word. And uh, I pray, Father, that we would not be overwhelmed by everything that we've talked about because there's a lot of things that we could be thinking about and working on. And in the end, Father, uh, I just pray that your spirit would direct each and every one of us in our own hearts, in our own lives, to determine what is one or two things that that need to change. Maybe it's an attitude or perception. Maybe it's a, a behavior or a habit or something else. Help us to understand just what it means to be called your dearly loved son or daughter. Help us to mimic you this week. Help people to see Jesus in us more and more as we go closer and closer and we become the mirror image of you. We need your help, Father. We need your word. We need your Holy Spirit. We need your church. And you've given us all of those. So help us to take advantage of those and work on, at least help us to work on the one area you're pointing out in our life today. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.